championship point number two, the world number four Sashi's Raven, his first final at this level to win the biggest title of his career. Djokovic serves, serves down the tee, snap back, Djokovic pushed back into a forehand that's middle of the court, backhand cross court from Zverev, backhand cross court and very deep from Djokovic, who opens up the forehand and goes middle of the court, forehand, slightly tentative from Zverev, who hits a double-handed backhand, more weight on that ball, slice cross court from Djokovic, backhand scooped up cross court from Zverev, down the line goes Djokovic, cross court forehand goes Zverev, big forehand down the line from Djokovic, oh he's passed! Djokovic is passed! And Sasha Zverev is the champion in London in straight sets against the world number one, Novak Djokovic. Djokovic has climbed over the net. Sasha Zverev is on his back on the court. And now the two embrace at the end of the court. Sasha Zverev has won the biggest title of his career and he's won it in style. Straight set, 6-4, six, 6-3. Six, with the biggest title of his career, Sasha Zverev is the NITO ATP Tour Finals champion with a straight sets win against the world number one. He believes he belongs, he does belong, 58 wins for the year to go with his four titles in 2018, 10 for his career and all at the age of 21. Sasha Zverev, champion in London. With me courtside, Mars McLaggen, Naomi Cavaday and Peter Mercato. And I wonder, Peter, how long it will take to sink in that he is the World Tour Finals champion. It, it would be an amazing feeling right now, that whole feeling of walking on air, to get to one of your goals, to show enormous mental strength to be able to get there, because it's one of the things that we've been talking about across the week, across the year. Has he got the mental fortitude to stand up to someone like Novak Djokovic with the record he has coming in? He's the world number one again, the big story of the year. Could he knock him off? Absolutely he could. If he can take this belief now, bottle it, and take it to every slam next year, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with because from start to finish, he looked confident, he looked calm, he looked assured, and he just dismantled Djokovic tonight. It was amazing. The question at the start of the day that, Mars, we put to everyone, how do you beat Novak Djokovic? What is the game plan to beat Novak Djokovic? Sasha Zverev found it, executed it. He absolutely did. I mean, everything he did was was very, very high quality today. And the cornerstone was was the serve. Had, Djokovic had really punished him for missing first serves, in particular in their first match around in, in the group stages. But he was really, in, in fact, he turned the tables on Djokovic. Uh, at one stage in the second set, Djokovic was, I think, about nor from seven and maybe two from 12 so he's really getting habit but he, he, he was uh, everyone had been talking about coming in and, and making Djokovic pass time and time again but actually he, he did he did it in a battle of wills he, he, he dug in at the back of the court he moves incredibly we, we knew that but you know we wondered how long he could maintain it well he, he maintained it longer than Djokovic could and it was, in the end it was Djokovic's will who, who possibly just started to sag a little bit. For so long, Sasha Zverev has had that belief, Naomi, for one so young at 21 years of age. He mastered the Masters format with those three titles. Then there were the question marks about the Grand Slams, and this year he made it to the second week of Roland Garros, and people think he's starting to unpick that lock. And then here at the end of the year, he takes one of the biggest prizes there are on offer, and he didn't look nervous or unsettled at any point. No, he was exceptional, wasn't he? He was just so mature all the way through. Uh, even from the difficult start he had in, in the group stages, not necessarily playing his best, he just got better and better and he just dealt with it. And as you say, understanding the formats in the thousands, understanding the formats of the group stage, because he started off so poorly and just got back to work, got better. I mean, his serving is transformed from where it was at the beginning of this tournament. I mean, it was actually, he really wasn't hitting the spots very well. I mean, today was just exceptional 140 mile an hour serves just kept coming at Djokovic right on the money every time I mean he peppers that one down the tee just just for fun uh, yeah it's an extraordinary achievement and I think looking ahead to the future I think it's a good thing that that these achievements are kind of they're not coming slowly because he's 21, but of course he's been up at number three in the world and there or thereabouts quite a while now. But these next little levels are coming quite slowly because I think it gives him the time to get his game in place because we, we, we hope that when he wins his first slam, he's going to win many more after that. And actually, he's a much better player this year than he was 12 months ago. His ranking may not have been the same, but he's won this tournament. Okay, he hasn't, he's gone further in slams and he's, he's, he's in the right direction. It's going to be interesting, Peter, to see next year. Grigor Dimitrov and Jack Sock last year finished off on, on such a high, and they are really nowhere, and they didn't qualify in the singles this year. 
Sasha's Rev, he said he's very, very tired at the moment. There'll be a part of him that wishes this could just continue because he's got to step it up even more in 2019. Yeah, and that, and the thing about it is we talk about, and it's been a running theme this week about the players and how tired they are. That final win that we saw was not Novak Djokovic was tired. This was Novak Djokovic at the top of his game taking on a Sasha Zverev who has pushed through the, the, the fatigue barrier because he's played more than anyone else on tour, had the most wins, all of that sort of stuff to come through at this big moment, this big occasion. There was no let up at any stage, not the, the mental side, not the physical side. These were two guys going toe to toe. That's what gives you the hope for next year because now he will start to get those results and really the final frontier for him are the majors. He started making inroads at Roland Garros uh, this year. We saw where he played five set ma match after five set match and he started to build into it. It's now to get it done at the other ones. Rest up, get the body right and then real charge at, at 2018 and at 2019 and they'll be all in again I would say like they've been the, the last couple of years. We're coming to you from courtside and we still have members of the Zverev family around us, but the, the house lights have gone on because in 36 hours from when we are speaking to you, there is a concert that is going to be taking place here and this will not look like a tennis arena. Miles, the, the Novak Djokovic performance, because he has been so good and of course we're rightly talking so much about Sasha Zverev, but what about the Novak Djokovic performance today? He, he won't be satisfied with that. I don't know how much... Um you know, how tired he was at the start of the day. I mean, he's had a relatively easy ride of it this week in the matches, but of course he's played so many matches since since Wimbledon. And, and it's not only about the amount of matches, it's the amount of big matches, the stressful situations, uh, and and the tank, you know, having, having time to fill your tank up again. If, you know, you start at 90% one day and you start 85 the next and it becomes more and more de depleted. And then you come up against an opponent like Sasha Zverev today and you think, you know, the, those doubts maybe come in. I think it starts with the mind. It's like, do, do I have what it takes to stay with him today? Which is normally what Djokovic's opponents are feeling. And, you know, but it's a, it's a credit to Zverev that he was to, to, was able to force Djokovic into those areas. But I think, uh, you know, he'll be hurting right now for sure. He, he wanted to end this year in style. He wanted to match Roger Federer in having six, uh, six of these titles. He'll get another chance. But, um, you know, I, I think give it a couple of days. And I think, you know, I've been saying it for a while, I think this, might, this year might go down as his biggest achievement. Who would like to kick off with their World Tour Finals? highlights it might be spending time with a particular member of the atp tennis radio team it might be a match it might be a point it might be a meal that you had naomi shortbread pretty much won the entire tournament it wasn't sasha it wasn't Aww. novak it was shortbread from start to finish one at early doors as well it was, <laughs> a couple of days in it was it was very nice it was oh, beautiful thanks. i tried it on air so i had nowhere to go if it was bad so no it was exceptionally good just to start on that note, I mean, obviously being here, this is my first time, but sorry, you know. It's I'm your not. first time and it started on the shortbread. Yes, I know, but my first time here to the O2 and, and Naomi said before we came over here, said, you're going to love it. It's going to be fantastic. The atmosphere is brilliant. The stadium is fantastic. Everything is done so well and it absolutely is. I mean, the, this is perfect in terms of finishing off the ATP season. You get the best players playing here in the best environment. Fantastic crowds each and every day. There was so much going on, so much happening, and I've just had a, a hell of a lot of fun. And then we haven't even started on the actual tennis itself. Well, I started with Peter because I knew that would give you both time to think because I knew it would be quite a long answer. So who would like to dive in now? Will it be Miles? And then Peter, you've still got to give me your tennis highlights. Um, well, I think for tennis, I'm going to go slightly out there and say that I thought that the doubles tournament was possibly the best doubles event I've ever watched just from start to finish. Everything was so, so competitive and I felt like every pair played incredibly well, which I don't think we've really seen before. So in terms of tennis, I mean, that's the whole event really, isn't it? It's not really picking one thing. Um, but for me, that really was a standout. Uh, and in terms of the other aspect of, of the event, everybody knows how much I love that build-up video, the uh, the montage that comes out, the legendary video. I just, I watched it every single time, every single chance I had, whether I was doing the matches, whether I was supposed to be doing something else, whether I was on the phone, anything else that was happening, everything had to stop so I could watch. Oh, Peter wasn't allowed to go to lunch one day until we had stayed and watched that happen. And then we could go, even though he was starving to death. So, uh, I mean, I absolutely loved that. So you've had shortbreads and videos. Miles, where do you take it now? I'm glad I'm no in between, because I don't know if we could do 
do two food sort of highlights in a row. <laughs> But I'll tell you, following up from Naomi, I mean, just the whole presentation, it is amazing. I mean, it, it's dramatic, the music, and it gets the sort of hairs standing up. And, and that little, when the players come out, there's almost the lights move. So it's sort of like a, a real funky travelator there on. Um, uh, you know, there's so many elements that do well, and they push, push the boundaries on that. But I think probably my tennis highlight, that, 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 the Federer's Zverev match yesterday. I mean, the intensity of that throughout, seeing the way Zverev played, I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed that match. And a couple of men who have been putting together their highlight reel since they got together in May, you commentated on Peter Mercato. Championship point, American, second server bear. Oh, it's a double fault! The cruelest of ways to finish off this match. Five, what seven, a tiebreak that one. was! But Mike Bryant and Jack Sock, the fifth seeds from the USA, are the champions at the NITO ATP Finals for 2018. One hour and 31 minutes on court. Mike Bryant with his fifth title, Jack Sock with his first. What a combination they've been. Wimbledon, US Open, and now end of season finals. They get the win over Gallant and Bermahoos. 13-11 in the match tiebreak. It's Brian and Sock, champions for 2018 at the O2. Jack Sock, Mike Bryan, champions in London. Isn't it fantastic? I mean, this this Bob goes down with a hip injury. Mike gets on the phone to Jack and goes, "Look, can you just come over and maybe just you know give us something here? Can we play as half the season? Sure, okay, we'll go out and win Wimbledon, we'll win the US Open, win the end of season championship. It's unbelievable. But as we've been talking about, it's been a theme this week here on ATP Tennis Radio, talking about who is the best individual doubles player going around. I think the consensus has been, the discussion's been around Jack Sock and what he can do. You put that up against an experienced player like Mike Bryan." Wow, you got a match made in heaven. And it was, they didn't have it all their own way against their bear Mahu, but boy, they got through. And they've been an irresistible force, but I think Bob's coming back next week, so I think Jack's phone's running hot at the moment. Going, Look, you don't want to play some doubles, do you? I suspect he might play with John Isner a bit next year. Peter McCarter, Naomi Cavaday, Miles Plagan, thank you so much for your NITO ATP Finals highlights. There's lots of tennis left in 2018, but the countdown's on for 2019. Catch the first Grand Slam action of the year down under with the Australian Open starting January 14. Hear live commentary from Melbourne Park on ATP Tennis Radio, thanks to AO Radio. And look out for our daily podcast, The AO Show. Gavrilova goes back that way, Burton's there off the line. Nicely picked up. Djokovic volleys, Tunga, cross goal winner. Don't miss AO Radio's exclusive coverage of the Australian Open on ATP Tennis Radio. Now, with so much having taken place over the last eight days here in London, we thought it only right to give you a chance to listen to a few people who've played their part in what has been a great season-ending finals. I'm joined by Jezgu. Jez, congratulations. What a wonderful moment to witness that performance and that win for Sasha. Yeah, it was uh, amazing, quite surprising. He, his level was uh, huge today. Uh, we know he can play like that, but to do it against someone like Novak, in the final of the tournament this big is, is amazing for a young guy like him. And it's wonderful for the team around him because you've said for years when we've spoken to you, this is a long-term plan. It's not going to happen overnight, so it must be very pleasing for you to be seeing these results. Yeah, and again, this is only hopefully only the start of the uh, next 10, 12 years for him, but he's got a great team. I mean, his, his parents have put a, a foundation of tennis that's unmatchable. Uh, now we've got Ivan involved as well, which is, which is great. So hopefully he can he can go to the next level if he wants to. It's actually up to him. But yeah, it's to, to watch him progress and get better and better is uh, is what what is a lot of fun. And these moments just must be very very special. Yeah, I mean, for me even being here, London, not bad. I'll, I'll take this the last match of the year. Yeah, but now you know we celebrate a little bit, and then now we just got to go back to work and, and go again for Australia. I mean, nothing changes. Please tell me you're giving him a little bit of time off. Yeah, it's, it's more him. Believe me, it's not me. Uh, he'll get at least 10 days, I think, before he gets bored. I'll give him two weeks, but he, he will take 10 days, want to do something, and then in two weeks' time we'll start pretty pretty brutal off-season again. Jess, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Enjoy the celebrations, however long they last. <laughs> thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We're very happy to be joined by Marcelo Melo. Marcelo, what was it like to watch that performance from Sasha Zverev? How enjoyable was it to watch him playing like that? 
Yeah, he played uh, very well uh, since the beginning of the match. Uh, I mean, I think he deserved it. how I can see, of course, every day how he uh, looking for for this moment, like practicing inside the court, outside the court in many ways. So he's uh, it was all deserved, well played. I don't know how to say it for him. So I'm very happy for him, for his team, for especially for his parents, which put him in this way. And his brother, of course, Misha, is very important uh, for him during the career and even now. It's lovely to get that insight because you see the work, you see how many hours and you see that this is thoroughly deserved. He's only 21. This is the biggest title of his career, 10 titles and world number four. Yes, uh, he still has long way. Uh, if you see, comparing to me, I'm 35, uh, 14 years ahead of him and he is 21, making this uh, tournament possible. That's what I'm saying. He has uh, a lot to learn still, even though he won here. I hope he continue winning like this and improve uh, in the Grand Slams. I think his dream to win the, the Grand Slams as well as was here. So I think he's in the right path and the right way to, to be there. Marcelo, thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful celebration at some point. <laughs> thank you so much. Bye bye. We get everywhere here on ATP Tennis Radio, and uh, not just me, Miles McLaggen as well. We're currently, where are we? We're in the Transport and Accreditation Desk at the end of the VIP, the very long VIP corridor that the players take. And um, we're waiting for Borna Chorich, the uh, second alternate here, isn't he, in, in London at the O2. And um, the reason why Miles is here, other than to you know, spend a few minutes with me, which is very nice, is that Miles, as well as being obviously a former coach of Andy Murray, among others, is a former coach of Borna Chorich. So, Miles, tell me, well, tell me quickly sort of what you make of the year that he's had, but also what you want to ask him. He's had a phenomenal year. It doesn't need me to say that. You just look at the results. A couple wins over, over Federer and move right up the rankings. Uh, but, but, you know, and, and I'm really happy for him as well because he, he was always an incredibly hard worker, incredibly dedicated. And uh, I think he, he deserves the sec- success that, that he's having. What do you put it down to? I mean, world number 12. Well, that's what we're going to find out, I hope. <laughs> we're gonna, oh, <laughs> but I, I think... Um, We'll see, but I think sometimes maybe a bit of relaxation. I'm expecting a couple, little bit of that in some of his answers. You know that that hunger he had and just just tempered a little bit. But there's no doubt he he's improved his game, uh, and I think. But it's just underpinned by you know I actually. We did a little feature here a few years ago, and he, he stated then I think he wanted to be top ten, no doubt. But uh, you know he was determined and, and, and driven then. Here he is. He's just arrived with Mark Epps of the uh, ATP comms team. Hello. Hello. All good. There you go. Hey, hey. Hi, Borna. How are you? Hey. Good, thank you. And good, yourself? Good. Yeah, good. Nice to see Miles as well. Yes, yes, yes. I was a little bit tired before this, but now when I saw him, I'm, I'm, I'm better. You're energized. Yeah, I am. I am, of what course. What are you tired from? You've been, this is an easy week. Yes, it? it was, but I was training a lot, so that's from, yeah. Now, the one thing, uh, the first thing I said to, to Miles was, world number 12. Wow. You know, how did this happen? You've had such a good year. Yeah, it was uh, the best year of my whole life for sure. I was uh, I was playing I was playing really good tennis, uh, especially from the March to go on. You know that uh, six seven months, it was I was playing really good. Uh, I was kept with my level. Uh, I was not injured for the whole year. Pretty much, I, I cancelled the only only one tournament, which was uh, not the case in all the previous years. So I think also that's uh, maybe one of the keys. Yeah, this time last year you just finished next gen. You know, yeah. ranked what 40, 48 in the world. Twelve months on, you've you've cut your ranking by four to twelve. Um, let's talk about the changes to your game, and I'm sure Miles is going to want to chip in here as well. But where do you think you've improved the most? Uh, I think uh, I improved the most uh, just standing closer to the line. Uh, I was playing much more defensive before. Uh, in my forehand, you know, I, I remember we working a lot, and I think you know there is the. Uh, most biggest improve. Um, also serve. I think you know in in the whole season I was I was serving very well uh, in the important points. I was serving good. Um, also the mental side as well. So pretty much you know in all the aspects. But I I I, I, I can still see uh, some space for the improvement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's, it's as I said just now it's it's great to see you have a success morning because I know you're such a hard worker. But probably from it all comes I, I think the desire. Right. I mean you've. Been a hungry, but what, I just wonder what does that feel like to want something so bad? Can you put that into words? Or? Yeah, maybe like uh, you wanting some candy. You know, I remember you and you were liking the candy a lot. So, 
maybe also Chipotle. I remember Chipotle in America, but uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just, uh, I just want it really badly. You know, I, I also love the sport. Uh, I love playing tennis. It's uh, what I do since I know for myself. You know, I started playing when I was four, so uh, that's my life pretty much. Um, One sometimes we talk to to players, and almost it's. It's finding relaxation in terms of like you know you you want something so badly and sometimes you don't think is is that maybe part of it or absolutely absolutely which I I still think I need uh, I still need to get that you know I'm I'm not very relaxed person as you know it sometimes I'm uh, way too tense in my opinion and I think that's that's going to be the next step for me you know if I if I want to break to top ten top five of course I need to improve some more stuff you know like my forehand. Also my serve and my volleys, but you know I, I I need to calm down as well sometimes, and uh, I I need to try to relax a little bit. Now we're going to walk and talk, so that this may go one or two ways. But so we've got Borna in the middle. So this this should be okay. We're going to walk and talk. Um, I asked Barry Cowan whether he had a question for you, um, and he said, "Guy's in such good shape. Ask him if he ever did press ups with Miles." <laughs> We Maybe did the one place I had an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> we did, we did. He was better. I need to, I, I need to be honest. So yeah, he was better. At it. Now here we are walking down the VIP um, corridor. We've just had Ivan Lendl walk past. Tim Henman's come in and sh- shaken Miles by the hand. It's where it's all happening. What has this whole O2 experience been like for you? I, I know it's a little bit tricky as an alternate because you're not sure w- whether you're going to get on or not. But what's it been like? I was prepared that I'm not going to play. I came here to prepare for the Davis Cup finals and also to see the tournament, also to enjoy here. I think it's, uh, it's something special. You know, it's uh, like the sugar on the end of the year to be here, uh, to have these facilities, uh, you know, just also to hang with the top players. So, uh, so, yeah, that's how I look at it. You know, it's not any problem for me. And you say yourself you find it hard to relax. You know, you're naturally quite a, you know, not stressed, but, you know, you, you're always yes. at something. Yeah. yeah. What, what, how, have you, how have you kept yourself entertained? What have you been doing when you haven't been practicing? I was practicing a lot, so I didn't have uh, any spare time. Uh, I think today I'm going to go out a little bit, uh, trying to enjoy my life as well a little bit. And then tomorrow uh, I need to leave for Lille. Uh, for the Davis Cup, so yeah, that's you know that's 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 how things are going to go. But I, I didn't relax these last ten days, to be honest. I was going to ask, ha- has there been a temptation to go and get on a clay court because uh, you've yeah. been doing all this hitting? Meanwhile, all the French guys, other than the doubles, they've been on a clay court all this time, of course. I was thinking about it, to be honest. Uh, then I I spoke to my coaches and I have decided, uh, you know to not complicate my life too much. Uh, I'm playing good. Uh, for me, it's much easier to go if, that I go from the hard court to the clay court. It's, I, I find it much easier. So, you know, I'm going there tomorrow. I'm going to have uh, six days uh, of the very good preparation. So, yeah, there was some temptation, but at the same time, I, I didn't want to push it. Last question. What are you up to now? What's, uh, what's next? What, what are we walking to? Uh, I'm not sure the ATP guy has... Uh, it's going to be Nito, as they say. <laughs> Okay, well, Borna, thank you very much. Well done this year. It's been a fantastic year. Thanks for talking to us on ATP Tennis Radio. Thank you. Thank you, guys. See you. Well, I'm with Mats Villander, former world number one, seven-time Grand Slam singles champion. Now, Mats, you played at this tournament when it was at Madison Square Gardens. It had longer at Madison Square Gardens than it's had here. What was the atmosphere like there? Um, Excellent. Um, I think completely different from a Grand Slam tournament because it was more event-like with only one court and no one is ever playing at the same time as you are so uh, all eyes are on you and I think certain years uh, you felt comfortable there and certain years no you did not feel comfortable if you come in and you were not playing well but you qualified everybody's watching uh, and uh, the pressure is completely different. It's an iconic venue and they talk about the legendary bleachers there, the, the people sitting at the top. Were you aware of playing in this enormous like cavern? Yes, I was actually, because in, in New York they let you know if they weren't pleased with you. Um, and uh, it's the smallest I've ever felt on a tennis court. I lost to Ivan Lendl in 1987 in the finals and in three out of five sets he won in three straight sets and I, somebody from the bleachers went... Come on, Vlander! And I'm like, oh my goodness, please don't do that because I want to get out of here. So yeah, the pressure is on and everybody lo- is watching and uh, it's different. Did you have to win round the crowd? Were they not pleased with you in the early days and then you got, they got used to you? 
Not really. Not in New York. Not with, not with John McEnroe in the field and Connors at times. Uh, and then Ivan Landel, of course, was so good indoors. And, and then Boris Becker came along and Stefan. So it was, it was a tough tournament for me because obviously I, I went in there as, a, as a, one of the top seeds because of the season. And then indoors was by far my worst surface. And again, the New Yorkers were, they were a tough crowd for me. And then the tournament moved to Germany. I mean, that was almost like chalk and cheese to move to the Festhaler in Frankfurt, which always felt to me like you were playing tennis while having dinner. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess the greatness um, of Boris Becker. Uh, and I think they foresaw that he was going to be um, somebody that's going to win tournaments, win Grand Slams, not just in 85 and 86 at Wimbledon, but, but uh, keep it going. And he did, obviously. So, uh, yeah, a, a, completely changed because obviously Frankfurt and New York City you can't compare um, and then yeah bounced around a few times so I think we felt when it moved from New York that that uh, this tournament lost a little bit what was the most memorable match that you ever played at the ATP finals or masters whatever it was called at the time oh she's the most memorable is one that nobody else saw actually I played uh, against Joachim Neustrom uh, in the round robin he's a good uh, friend of yours yes <laughs> you could say that we are as close uh, a friend as I have in this life and um, I remember that we were playing for I think ten thousand dollars for the winner of a, of a of an individual round robin match and I remember splitting the money in the locker room before the match and I shouldn't be saying this uh, and I think I won in three sets eventually but there was less than a hundred people in the crowd and what do you feel about this tournament now in London because it's obviously the modern day equivalent of of, of what was in New York in the 80s and in Germany in the 90s yeah I mean I think it's it's been great obviously um, the vibe is in, incredible and when you see uh, and watch Roger Federer play in there you realize how big he is and you realize that he that they will travel to come and see him play and that's that's huge huge for the game um, somehow they've made this into the fifth major really have and the players have really uh, embraced it and um, the field is obviously the top eight players but I think the field is always they're ready they're ready to play and I think we haven't had great matches always every year and I think because the pressure is different I think these guys are not used to having all their all eyes are on them whereas at the Grand Slam tournament you you practice and there's a two three hundred players around and here you have your own locker room uh, and um, you, your face is on the big video screen it's just completely different I think some players handle it and some players don't finally despite all the travails you had in New York in the 80s <laughs> you've made your home in America so obviously you've come to terms with the, the vagaries of American life? Yeah, I did. I, I, I played the Masters in Madison Square Garden when I actually lived in Manhattan. So I would just go down to the street corner uh, from 5th Avenue and 17th Street and, and hop in a cab and go up to Madison Square Garden. So about 20 blocks. So I had a lot of friends there, but um, no, Madison Square Garden ha has so much history for us Swedish uh, ice hockey loving people because of the New York Rangers and to suddenly be in there and then see all the pictures of Muhammad Ali fighting in there, New York Rangers playing in there, New York Knicks. Do I really belong here as a tennis player? Sometimes that's a, it's a, tough, uh, it's a tough do for me. Forever modest. Mats Villander, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. I am with Anton Matusevic, the US Open boys doubles champion, who is a hitting partner here this week. Um, Anton, I'm going to ask you all about the, the US Open yeah, as well. Okay. But first of all, you're here today. You've been hitting with what Kevin Anderson and Kane Nishikori already. How are you enjoying it all? Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm enjoying the experience. Um, I'm quite honored to play here. Uh, obviously, it's a great venue. It's uh, the second highest ranked tournaments. So uh, it's opportunity I can't miss, especially when I live 35 minutes away, you know, so I kind of have to be here as well. So uh, it was nice to get invited as well and uh, everything's great, the food's here. And uh, yeah, hitting on court players is a, it's an excellent hit as well for me, for my development. And uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, as a 17 year old, I mean, playing with the, the top eight in the yeah. world, you know, okay, a couple of the guys aren't here, but this is as elite as it gets. You know, it yeah. must just be soaking it all up. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, they are the top eight. I've got a long way to go, so it's good to look at um, what I have to reach in order to be like at that level, you know. So uh, yeah, just uh, practicing, training right now, um, and uh, just learning from the best. So yeah, really cool. What stands out most for you of everything you've seen in terms of what you've learned? I mean, they're quite focused. 
quite on it. You know, they, they do like, they have a good routine. They do their warm-ups very well. Uh, they're very focused in practice, you know, and they, uh, they, they're very good at uh, repeating. So as in they don't miss many shots, you know, they just, they can just like go on forever. And, uh, they all have their all they 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 all have their own strengths, which is uh, and it's good to just look out what those strengths are from each player. So today, for example, what's the difference between hitting with Kevin Anderson and Kane Ishikori? Obviously, there's the height difference, which yeah. we all, <laughs> which we all know. But uh, what what are the key differences hitting with those two guys, who of course are going to play each other? I mean, uh, Anderson is uh, he's he, he's a big guy, so I suppose he uh, I think he serves bigger. So he's going to try to gain a lot of points from his serve and then third ball. And uh, Kay is just an incredible athlete. You know, he moves around extremely well. Quite similar, kind of like athletic, athletic wise, similar to Djokovic. Obviously, Kay is not as I mean, uh, obviously uh, Kevin is not as athletic, but he has other he has other weapons. You know, he has big forehands. He's got big shots. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who wins out of them. So yeah. Yeah, and you've practiced with both of those on practice court one which is here it's it's out in the vip village you practiced on center too yeah i did with jamie murray this morning and um, it was coach louis kaya and that was uh, that was a really fun as well yeah at uh, 8 45 in the morning so uh, early doors but uh I, i'm i'm willing to hit for sure so yeah yeah it was fun all the tennis you can get do you get nervous hitting with these guys uh not really because uh, what i imagine is uh, i i just want to hit you know i love hitting so I don't even like care. I, I I just picture like I don't even care who's on the other side. You know, I just obviously it's uh, they're the top pros, but I, I just focus on really myself and how I can improve, and that's why I focus on while I hit. So, yeah. But when Brad Stein comes over to you, as he did earlier, I noticed. You know, in the, in when you were hitting with Kevin, and presumably he mentioned the name Kane Ishikori. So is he then saying to you, please, can you hit? a certain way and does that then put oh, an extra yeah. onus to really you've got to hit your spots uh yeah i do yeah and uh, i think i did a good job really uh, he was um he told me told me off quite a lot and uh he didn't really tell me off but he just told me that you have to hear and hear and hear so i thought i did a pretty good job with uh, dealing with it so uh yeah but uh he was yeah he told me just to go here and then here and then uh can you uh, add a bit more slice on your serve? And uh, every time I think I got it right. Obviously I made a few errors, but not too many, so yeah. They'll be asking you back. Any any pearls oh, of wisdom that you um wisdom, that yeah, you've yeah. that you've taken? I haven't really been given any advice apart from Louis Kaya, uh, who's uh, who's like an unbelievable coach. He's uh well I actually work with him a bit, so he's obviously taught me some advice like uh, like try to turn more on your serve, a lot of technical advice, but from like Kay and uh, like, uh, from Kay and Kevin, not much. I think they just really like knuckle down on their own practice. So yeah, didn't really get any advice. <laughs> okay, well I'm sure you will throughout the week. Yeah, maybe. Let's talk about the U.S. Open because you know, being the boys doubles Grand Slam champion, not everyone can say that they've done that at the age of 17. What was that experience like? Well, I, well, it's not really big because it's only juniors, so I, it's still big. It's it's not because it's it's yeah it's a grand slam. Your name's going to be written somewhere, but I got a long way to go. And uh, I, I uh, although doubles is great fun, I, I really want to aim at singles. And uh, I don't even know how me and my partner won it because uh, we weren't telling each other where to where we were serving, and uh, we just clutched it a bit. So yeah, it was great fun though. Yeah, but it's it's not big at all. It's, it's for me, it's not big at all. It's juniors, you know, and. Uh, yeah, you won it, but come on. Uh, if I win the real thing, then yeah, that that would be big, though. Yeah, <laughs> maybe one day. Now, uh, Naomi Cavaday in our commentary box. Yeah. Um, Naomi's brother coaches you. Uh, he coaches me a bit right now. He's uh, actually been awarded a very cool job. He's going to be the head of uh, Loughborough Tennis Academy. And uh, right now, yeah, he he was doing he's doing little bits with me, and it's a uh, really it's great fun, yeah. Because uh, he used to coach me when I was like 12. Uh, uh, which was actually in Bromley back in the day, which was uh, very cool. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they're both. Uh, his, uh, Naomi's a great, she's a great. I, I think she was a great player as well, and she's very nice. And so is Nick. You know, we get along very well, and it's uh, it's great working with him. So yeah. And then he also mentioned that school comes pretty easy to you. A stars of, A stars all over the place. I'm currently doing A levels. I'm doing three A levels. Uh, 
maths, further maths and economics and uh, I just enjoy doing it, it takes my mind off tennis and um, a lot of tennis players just um, you know who don't who don't make it then have a backup plan so uh, I just think it would be good to have a backup plan so if tennis does go wrong you know I can always go into education and stuff obviously I've committed full-time but I'll always have those uh, uh, GCSE results and A-level results for the future so I can always switch to uni uh, if like I get major injury or something you know or if I just tennis doesn't work out in two or three years so yeah it's, uh, yeah but it's, it's great fun I go to school it's good socializing uh, I feel like I can get smart here and then from school because mm -hmm. uh, I just think that in this world you've got to know how it works, you know, so I just believe that's that's why school is good. And Nemi's also say it's not all been tennis, 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 you know, yeah. you haven't played too much tennis, you've done other things. No, I haven't, no. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just so talented, maybe, I, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, no, I doubt that's the case, but um, yeah, I just... I just love doing loads of different things, you know. Uh, but I have to admit, after I play tennis for like, if I play straight on tournaments, I do get quite bored. So I do need like to change my mind up a bit at times. So yeah, but I, I do various things. So yeah. And you're, you're a big guy as well, you know. For 17, oh, yeah, you you know you're you're broad, you're tall. Um, has that made it easier in a way coming through the juniors, being physical? Oh yeah, I can hit winners. Um, I don't have to like run around and grind. Um, you know, I can uh, I can hit the hit the crap out of the ball and get away with it. You know, but obviously for the future, I will, uh, I've actually started like using my legs more rather than my arms. So using my body more, uh, getting better movement because uh, uh, people uh, will adapt to, uh, will adapt to my game and they'll know how to ma they'll know how to handle it. So I have to find it dif find different ways now as well rather than just using my arm and slapping winners everywhere, so yeah. You mentioned the academics. Um, what is the plan with that? It, US college um, in, the, in the plan, in the roadmap, or UK university, or are you going to go the challenger route? What, what are you thinking? Uh, definitely not uh, in, uh, US college, definitely not, because I've already signed contracts with like Nike and Gan. Uh, they've helped me a lot as well, but, so definitely not going there. London University only if, uh, as in just to study, only uh, only if tennis doesn't work out in a couple of years, like I said before, and uh, probably just take the challenge route and futures route, like next year, for next year, yeah. Obviously I'll play the Grand Slams, uh, just have some fun, but um, yeah, later then I'll have to, because uh, they've got the new transitional tour, so it makes sense actually to play juniors. I'll be able to get into uh, the transitional tour um, like easier with my junior ranking because it's fairly high. And what next for you? You've had three training sessions already today. What next? Tomorrow, don't know. Haven't seen the schedule. And uh, Saturday, don't know as well. But I've really enjoyed it so far. And uh, yeah, you're gonna get in the sit in the crowd. Gonna get to do that and do the fan thing. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't. I prefer to like play rather <laughs> than to watch. If I'm being honest. So uh, I really look. Yeah, it's great to sit there when it's a good match, but uh, I, I'd rather be, I'd rather hit and then uh, uh, go home and uh, sit in my lovely house and then watch uh, watch it on the TV, which is uh, pretty nice. But yeah, the fan thing's pretty cool. They got that decibel beat to have though, and when it pops out, everyone just goes wild. Yeah, and maybe I'll do it uh, on Saturday or even Sunday. So yeah, and be out there yourself one day in yeah. the middle. Uh, I will be. <laughs> I'll try. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Anton. Anton, it's great talking with you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Delighted to talk with Chris Kermode, Executive Chairman and President of the ATP. Chris, big announcement today. Tell us the news. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a huge event for us uh, that we're launching today uh, that we've just announced to the, the world's press, um, the ATP Cup. Uh, which is a 10-day event, 24 teams um, in Australia. We're doing it in partnership with Tennis Australia uh, to launch the season in, in week one. And, you know, we start the ATP Tour season in January with this event uh, and it will go through to November and finish here uh, at the ATP Finals. A few things to pick up on. Um, so from 2020, how long has this been in the making? We've been working on this now for about over over four years, and um, you know when I t started the job, which was five years ago, in the first six months of that uh, in that role, I was thinking of you know how can we uh, expand and grow and, and evolve as a tour, 
and you know looking at new events building our existing big events you know our masters events and um, you know we started the next gen finals which was a new event um, you know launching the the new stars and also test casing innovation uh, and then we also worked on how can we get an event at the start of the year uh, to launch our season uh, in a big way in a meaningful way and you know the uh, the, what was the World Team Cup was a, an ATP-owned event that lasted for 35 years. It's been off the shelf for a bit, and we thought we'd bring that back, and we've relaunched it as the ATP Cup. Lots of change this year across the board with team events in tennis. Um, how much has there been dialogue with the other governing bodies of tennis? We've been talking for a long time now, really, the last, last four years, and then when we started to talk about the ATP Cup, um, obviously, there's a lot of interest. Uh, the calendar is uh, a busy calendar. You know, we have 64 events on the ATP Tour. Um, but we thought it was important to engage with everybody in tennis, so the ITF and uh, all the Grand Slams. And recently, very recently, we've had some really, really good meetings about the future of the sport and how we can all work together. Um, and that's across everything. That's across ranking points and prize money distributions, talking about, you know, uh, the calendar itself um, and how that works. And, you know, looking to the future, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're going to continue that really good dialogue. I know you work very much with the players. Novak was with you at the presentation today. What, what are the players most excited by with this? I think it's an event that, you know, uh, a team event that the ATP owns um, and they're very proud of that. Um, you know, the ATP is a unique organisation that's um, co-owned by 50% by the players and 50% by the tournament owners. So I think to have their own event that they can feel a part of, be involved in, you know, in having a big say in how this works, um, you know, they're very, very excited about this event. Are there any concerns with the schedule uh, right at the start of the year and, and what happens with the other events in January? So, you know, we looked at the calendar to try and find a space in the calendar is very, very difficult. It has a knock on effect. And what we were very conscious of, we didn't want to do an event that is additive to the calendar. So you put in a big event, players can only play so much. And so if you put a big event in midway in the calendar or anywhere in the calendar, it will have repercussions to other events, maybe not initially in that week, but maybe a month, six weeks down the line. Players will, if they play in a, in a, in a new big competition, they might decide to miss something else. So we didn't want to do that. We wanted to be protective of our events. And in week one, historically, nine out of the top ten have always played week one. You know, whatever the event is, they're playing that week anyway. And that's why week one works as a sort of calendar flow and uh, least damage to any other events. Plus, you know, the start of the season, everyone's fresh, everyone's healthy, uh, you know, everyone's up, up for a, a new season. Um, and it gives us an opportunity to launch the ATP Tour that season in, in a big, meaningful way. Australia, I guess, an obvious choice given what's just about to happen in the calendar. Um, when will we find out where in Australia? So uh, soon, you know, going, they're going through a process, a tender process at the moment, but, you know, it will be three big cities in Australia. Um, you know, the sporting culture in Australia was also a huge factor. Uh, we want, the, you know, uh, the stadiums to be full and uh, full of, you know, uh, atmosphere and you know, a great sense of sporting occasion which the Aussies always bring um, their partnership our partnership with Tennis Australia they've proven to be great promoters of the game um, and we're super confident that you know this uh, connection between Tennis Australia and the ATP is, is a big move forward and what are the fans going to be watching Chris what, what how's the format going to work so we'll have it's 24 teams the six groups of four um, so there'll be group stages spread across the three cities and then we'll condense it down obviously to a core Quarter, uh, quarterfinal, semi-finals and a final. Uh, there are 750 ATP ranking points on offer. Um, so this is a, a big event. And the 24 countries who compete, how are those decided? So it will be based on uh, the number one player from each country and we'll go down the rankings. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to have this great chance to uh, represent their country um, at the start of the year and help their teammates uh, come along that journey. And sitting here now, what do you hope that this event will 
bring will achieve for the fans and for tennis? I think, you know, any, any event, like when we started here in London uh, at the O2 Arena, you want it to be a great fan experience. Um, so it's an on-site experience, number one. Um, you get a ch- you know, chance to see, you know, a, a vast array of talent and the depth in men's professional tennis at the moment, I think, is as strong as it's ever been. We've got global stars, you know, across, uh, across a huge global diversity of countries, which is great. Um, so you can, you know, attach yourself to uh, various, pl- uh, various, various uh, uh, players and tournaments. Um, so, yeah. I am with George Sis, Senior Vice President of Marketing and Business Development for the ATP. And the reason I'm talking with George, other than the fact that he's a very nice guy, is that the ATP have today unveiled a new brand and campaign for the tour. Now, you tell me, George, what the big changes are. Well, today is a very special day for the ATP because we have unveiled a new logo uh, and as, as we did also a new uh, vi- visual identity and a creative campaign that we will be using from January 1st, 2019 onwards. Um, and from a, as a marketing guy, it's always a big thing. It's always when one of your babies is coming to life. Um, we've been working on that for, for a long time. And I'm really, really excited because it will hail a new era in, in, our, in our brand moving forward. So why the change? There's a number of reasons for it. Um, when, you're, when your listeners get a chance to actually look online, we actually have a really nice historical video looking back all the way to 1972 as when we had our first first identity that look very much like uh, NBA logo. The current NBA has the sort of red and blue. Then later on in the in early, 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 early 90s, we introduced a logo that, that was sort of in a we, we call him the the stick man. Was very sort of fluorescent colors, really, really on par with the with the, what was trendy at the time. Later on came our purple logo, the ATP, with uh, which was which was modeled after Pete Sampras. Um, then in 2009 we brought in our celebration uh, celebration guy that we have in the logo right now. And sort of 10 years later, it is the right time for us to evolve a brand. But that's only sort of a historical anecdote. The real reason why we're doing this is we are really at the top of our game. Right now, every single KPI that the ATP has is as good as it ever been. Whether it's the attendance on site, viewership on TV, commercial growth, price money growth, everything is as good as it, as it ever been. Um, so this is the right time for us to, from a position of strength to look how we can, how we can improve, you know, how we can prepare the sport for the next phase. Most sports wait till their backs are pushed against the corner before they really do some change. We feel that it's the time to do that is when you're strong. And we have this phenomenal product. I mean, we're sitting here watching Roger Federer warming, warming up. It's, I mean, it cannot be any better, right? The sport is fantastic. And what's great, he's warming up with Borna Choric, who, who last year was in Milan at the next-gen ATP finals. This year got to the final of Shanghai, Shanghai Rolex Masters. It's a, it's a rising star. He's, a, he's, a, he's the alternate here in, in London. So we have a tremendously great population of players, not on the very top, but also the guys coming through. And as we've seen last week in Milan, the next-gen are phenomenally strong as well. So all the things are going forward. The only thing we're, we're slightly concerned about um, is our... Uh, population of fans. We feel that our, our, our fans are getting a little bit older and what we want to make sure that we continue to engage with the younger generation of fans. We call them the next-gen fans. The, the casual fans that, that follow maybe the big events, maybe the slams, but don't necessarily um, involved with the tour year-round. Year and we're trying, to, we're trying to engage this younger group of these guys, this sort of 20 to 40, uh, 24, 25 to 40. Um, that sort of is our sweet spot. And that's why we felt that a change in our brand identity, change in our, the way we talk to them, the way we present our brand was necessary. And this is what really driven this thing. And, and I must say, it really came from our executive chairman and president, Chris Kermode, who is um, one of the most visionary guys we had, one of the more creative uh, people I've ever worked for. And, and he really always thinks about two, three steps ahead where we need to be. So he's not concerned about where we are today. It's great. We're in a great place. But we want to be in an even better place five years from now. So the strap line behind the new name, which is ATP Tour, I want to ask you why you've dropped the word world as well, but love it all. Talk to me about that. Why, why those three words? Yes. So it's a, it's a very simple reason. We feel that we are one of the biggest sports in the world in terms, of, in terms of our global footprint. We are genuinely, truly global. 63 tournaments, 31 countries, every continent basically represented by, by Antarctica, right? So it's a... 
it's a it's a it's a truly big massive sport uh, and what we want the fans is to love it all we want them to love all aspects of the sport we have we play a number of different surfaces number of different tournaments we have number of different players uh, competing on this and what we want the fans to engage with all of it and and love it all just like they love roger here finishing his warm-up absolutely i know you're not going to tell me who the player is in the new logo uh, because you've already said that even though Pete Sampras, I think, was the 2001 logo, and then we're not sure who the 2009 logo was, although for me it looks like Andre Agassi celebrating. But whoever it is in the new logo, how much input have the players had into this? Well, we, we're constantly listening to players. You know, listening to players is, is where we are association of tennis professionals. We are very unique sports uh, or governing body because we really are comprised of two groups of members, the, the players and the tournaments. And it's it, and we can only succeed when we listen to both of them. So we take a lot of input for the players, we share our stuff with them and, and we come back with it. So I can tell you, we actually presented this uh, visual identity and creative to the players in our, in our mandatory meeting in uh, in New York. And it was one of the very first time that I've seen a players genuinely clapping and being really excited, which gave me the confidence that Today, the announcement is going to go really well because, to be fair, our players are the demographic of people we are going after. They are the younger people. They are the guys who grew up with social media. They are the guys who grow up with, uh, with, the, with the digital technology. And, and, and with that comes also a responsibility to talk to them in their language. They're not going to listen to us talking, I'm you know 40 plus uh, guy, to them I'm a dinosaur. We need to talk to them in their, in their own language, in their own environment. And you mentioned, you know, 63 tournaments around the world, everywhere but the Antarctic. This is not just a case of swapping a few social media accounts around and place, replacing, copy and pasting a few logos, is it? For, for tournaments everywhere, down to the 250 level and Challenger Tour, this is a huge amount of work, isn't it now? Yes, absolutely. I mean, ATP has a quite... Uh quite complex uh, uh, brand architecture, if you will. I mean, my boss hates that word. Uh, it's very marketing speak, but for the lack of a term, we have a, we have a complex structure. We have a number of different tournaments. So on the ATP Tour, uh, there are ATP Masters 1000, ATP 500, ATP 250 events, all leading up to the NITO ATP Finals. But underneath that, we have the uh, ATP Challenger Tour, ATP Champions Tour, and of course, we have our one event that sort of sits sort of apart from it all, which is the next-gen ATP Finals. So there is a lots of different different brands, and what we need to do is when we create a new 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 brand identity, it needs to fit for all of it, and it needs to do it in a in a coherent and integrated and structured structured way that allows um, all of the stakeholders. In tennis, we have five the players, the tournaments, the fans, the media, and the commercial partners, the sponsors, they all, it needs to work for all of them. If one, if it doesn't work for one of them, the whole thing will fall, fall apart. So it comes quite a bit of responsibility to, to get it right. Um, but, but we do think about all of them. We, sh we discuss it with all of them. We were discussing things with our commercial partners as early as, uh, as, as April in Estoril on our, on our annual meeting with all of them, with the tournaments uh, all the way back to, to Indian Wells. You know? So there is a quite a long process to, to get it right, and it's a, it's, it's a number of different versions you go. And, uh, and yeah, we are very pleased where, we, where it ended up. And we heard you earlier on talking with Barry Cowan, uh, an interview that you did in Milan. Uh, we obviously had the next-gen finals uh, earlier um, last week. What about this event? Is this something that, I mean, I think we're here in London for another two years, aren't we? Is this something that you tinker with uh, and, and look at changing? Or is, is this, you know, what, what we see is what we get? I, I think this this event is the pinnacle of our sport, okay? And it always it, it is the the, the pinnacle of our tour. And for us, it's it's hugely important. It's what drives this, the biggest storyline of the season for us. Who is gonna make it? And I believe we we are trying lots of new things this week. For example, we are we are trying the decibel meter. I'm not sure if you if you guys you should, it's a radio. Hopefully, you guys have picked it up. Uh, when we put it up, the, the levels certainly go 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 up quite a bit, and it's been really well received by the by the fans. And and with respect to the changes in Milan, I would say there are sort of two types of changes there. There are the sort of the the peripheral changes, if you will. Uh, there's the the shot clocks, the the towel policy, and those type of things. The the Hawkeye life, things that don't necessarily structurally change the game. Um, and I believe that those will come come to play tour-wide uh, relatively quickly. So to answer your question, 
we wouldn't change anything just for this event. If we're going to make changes, it will most likely be tour-wide changes. Um, with respect to some of those sort of more dramatic scoring changes, um, that will take more time. And the reason for that is that it has been amazing in Milan. I must say, there is very few times I have been as excited about watching matches as there. And, and it was a combination of things. Uh, the excitement that we felt on that court was, was phenomenal. Um, but it was only so far 30 matches, 15 matches 2017, 15 matches this year. That's a relatively small sample size. We need to do more tests, we're going to continue exploring more, and it will take a time before, before our sport uh, feels, feels comfortable with it. And we wouldn't do anything um, by the force, uh, by dictatorial nature. Any changes we will bring in will be through consensus building and, again, going back to the five stakeholders. If you're gonna make massive changes, it has to work for all five stakeholders. But what I believe is the ATP, when you look at sort of our track record, we have done some pretty pretty significant changes over the over the over the time and we always done them responsibly and, and they, they paid off. The most notable was our so-called Brave New World in 2009 when we created the category of 500s. What a success that was, okay? It was a, and that was a major change because it completely revamped the play commitment of the players and everything. So, yeah, we, we embraced the change and I, that's what I love about our company is that we, we are not afraid to be trailblazers. You know, you look at what we've done with Amazon, we're one of the leading, leading uh, sports who are embracing the digital technology. We were one of the first sports who had our own OTT channel, um, Tennis TV, you know, so we are, we are always trying to be out there and thinking about what's coming next. So um, I would say watch this space and we'll see how that, how that goes. You also launched your own radio station, remember, ATP Tennis Radio. You mentioned 2009, um, 10 years we've been here in the O2, just to finally to talk about this event. Um, pretty competitive out there, I imagine, to host this event. Two years to go. What's the process for um, deciding where it goes beyond that, if, if indeed it moves at all? Absolutely. I mean, it's 10 years goes in a flash. I mean, it is, it is quite amazing. I, I remember when we were standing in this venue in 2007 with the hard hats and a visibility, visibility vest, and it was a complete construction site. Um, and people thought we were crazy. You know, going back to the previous point, people genuinely thought we were nuts. Why, why, why are you guys going to do it? It will never succeed. It will know there. And, and look, 10 years in a row, 250,000 people every single year packed houses, phenomenal atmosphere, people totally buying it and completely changing the perception of tennis in the UK, where it used to be, you know, Queens to Wimbledon, that used to be your tennis season. Now people know in November, there is another massive, massive event to look over and it's not become not only just a tennis event, but it's a social event. You know, we had a Cristiano Ronaldo here yesterday, you know, David Beckham comes in very often, you know, so it's, it's, it's an event that has established itself. And uh, yeah, we're, we're actually celebrating those 10 years right now. And with regards to the future, we have, um, we are definitely here through 2020. And as I said, we do everything very responsibly. We, we believe we have the responsibility to all five stakeholders, try to make sure that we always explore all the opportunities and the success of this event over the, over the last 10 years um, created a tremendous demand for it. There is a, a number, a number of cities that are sort of looking, looking, looking at this. You know, we had, uh, we, we, so we had to sort of look at it properly and responsibly. So we actually engage Deloitte and work with them on a proper RFP process to to, support, to, to explore what is out there, who may be interested in this. And this process is going on right now. The interest is incredibly difficult. London is definitely in the mix. We we love being here. It's not that there is a there is a pressure to go or anything, but we are exploring all the things, and we shall see uh, where it ends up. A huge thank you to all of our guests and, of course, to everyone that's been a part of the ATP Tennis Radio team this week in London. Tennis, teamwork and trophies, a winning combination. Our live commentary returns in the new year. ATP Tennis Radio never leaves you. And we have our exclusives channel on the TuneIn platform for your chance to re-listen to some of the people we've had the opportunity to speak to. Now, if you enjoy the podcast, and we hope you do, and would like to leave us a review, that would be lovely. The ATP Tennis Radio podcast will be back in a week's time, but we will leave you for this week with the winning moments from the final ATP action of what has been another great season. Bye for now. Championship point American, second server bear. Oh, it's a double fault! The cruelest of ways to finish off this match. What a tie break that was!
but Mike Bryan and Jack Soft, the fifth seeds from the USA, are the champions at the NITO ATP Finals for 2018. One hour and 31 minutes on court. Mike Bryan with his fifth title. Jack Soft with his first. What a combination they've been. Wimbledon, US Open, and now end of season finals. They get the win over Gallant at Bermahu. 5-7, 6-1, 13-11 in the match tiebreak. It's Brian and Soft, champions for 2018 at the O2. Backhand scooped up, cross court from Zverev. Down the line goes Djokovic. Cross court forehand goes Zverev. Big forehand down the line from Djokovic. Oh, he's passed! Game set on match Zverev. Djokovic is passed. And Sasha Zverev is the champion in London, in straight sets against the world number one, Novak Djokovic. Djokovic has climbed over the net. Sasha Zverev is on his back on the court. And now the two embrace at the end of the court. Sasha Zverev has won the biggest title of his career and he's won it in style. Straight set, 6-4, 6-3.